Today, I wanted to speak about something that I had been praying about. And I feel like good timing, let's roll. We have core values as a church that we try to weave into sermons every once in a while. And so today I would like to speak on the subject of rhymes with llama. Uh, yeah, I'm not even saying the word yet because as silly as I may try to act with it, it's something that's been on my heart, something I've been praying about. I was thinking about this, that when you are a leader, you will read leadership things. Uh, I love reading leadership stories, not just church leadership stories, but just inventors, entrepreneurs, people that just changed everything we know by being that oddball at times and just stepping out. When it comes to things with churches, often churches are categorized as healthy or unhealthy. And a healthy church will face different challenges than an unhealthy church would face. And I was thinking like when our body is healthy versus unhealthy, how the challenges could be. And I was reminded of when my daughter was young and she was hospitalized and she had had a surgery. Her body wasn't healthy at the time. And one of the challenges, like a big deal, was for her to get out of the bed and be able to walk in the hallway. So, you know, that was something that under healthy circumstances wouldn't be a big deal, but it changed. You know, when our body's healthy, you have different challenges as well. Like when my body is healthy, like do I eat that bag of pizza rolls or do I not eat the bag of pizza rolls? Like the challenges can be a lot different. With churches, it can be the same. When we're, as a church, when you're in an unhealthy place, the bar is set for like these minimal things. But when it's a healthy church, it's like the sky's the limit, right? Well, here's the thing. A healthy church can also have unhealthy tendencies. And you're like, well, that's not a healthy church. Well, let's dig into it, shall we? Here it is, the core value. Church drama has no place here. We teach that from the get-go, from our Grow Together courses. It's something that we hope that people see when they enter this building because it's the way we honor God. The line that goes under that is, we will not waste God's time. You know, we can get in this place where we think God's time is 10.30 to noon on a Sunday, but then God convicts me and says, it's all my time. Why don't you live in a manner that doesn't court drama in every moment of your life and see what God does with that. He's challenging me. And so as I was praying, get my prayer journal out, you know, and you just write things down. And these words, the guard your heart. Guard your heart. You haven't arrived yet. And when I wrote that down, it wasn't like a woe is me moment. It was almost like a father and son talk with my heavenly father. God telling us, keep watch. Don't fall asleep at your post. As a pastor, when you pray for discernment, when you pray like how God would have you lead, he will answer that. And sometimes you don't like the answers that he gives. In 2020, I felt like my time with God showed me this. 
the, the devil hasn't changed his tactics. It's always been to deceive. It's always been to distract. And in 2020, the play, I think, against the church at large was to distract and to have a lot of people fighting battles that weren't theirs to fight. To turn passion up in certain areas and then intermingle that with faith and have a bunch of angry Christians that the world is like, I don't want to go near that right now. Just being real. I think in 2023, in praying, God, what's this guard up thing? Not a paranoia, but as a shepherd, what's the guard up moment? I feel like the guard up moment is that the enemy is trying to distract, to try to get us to redirect our passion again to miss the move. I think that's what it is. I think he's wanting us, the old like little kids, you know, when you take their picture and they had the, the bird on the, on the stick and they're like, look at the birdie so they can get the kid like to, for a moment, look like they're paying attention to the camera. That's how I feel like the devil's trying to do us right now. Like, look over here, look over here at what's happening. When really the God plan is over here. So as I'm praying, National Geographic is on. It was about American mafia, so I watched a lot of that, and I'm not going to be educating us on the mafia today, but the second part was on avalanches, and it caught my attention because last week I read that there was a professional skier who lost his life in Japan due to an avalanche. So I started reading about avalanches while I'm supposed to be studying, and I'm praying, God, please honor this time, like let this fit some way. So avalanches, when you study them, they're quite deadly. They're destructive because once they gain momentum, they sweep away everything in their path. I learned that avalanches are always caused by a trigger. Something triggers them. Avalanches can cause massive destruction. They can block the way. They can keep people from getting to where they were meant to be. They can injure. They can maim. They can even take life. So those are some snippets of things that I read. So I'm not going to talk about that right now. If you've ever heard me speak, you know that I'll jump back and forth because that's, I don't know, a gift? I don't know. (laughs) Uh, But I felt like when I was studying that the Lord just, those, those God whispers at times, that drama will derail destiny. And what's wild is... As a pastor, it wasn't just like, what's wrong with Christian Life Church? No. It was almost in a way like with the body of Christ, like just this awareness. You know, when we stand here and we're praying for revival to break out, I pray that revival breaks out in any number of churches around this area. I, again, and we've said that, and we prayed it from this very place, but I'm saying that play, just I am holding other pastors up because I would like to think that the devil, since he doesn't really have this huge bag of tricks, that he's pulling the same things in different places. So we read from Numbers chapter 11, verses 4 through 10. This is after God's people were delivered. Then the foreign rabble who were traveling with the Israelites began to crave the good things of Egypt. And the people of Israel also began to complain. Oh, for some meat, they exclaimed. We remember the fish that we used to eat for free in Egypt. And we had all the cucumbers, melons, leeks, onions, and garlic that we wanted. But now our appetites are gone. All we ever see is this manna. You ever get there? Like, I just want to be like, newsflash these people. The fish weren't free. 
The fish weren't free. You were paying with your lives. This is during their time in the wilderness. This this conversation is going on. That space between when God delivered them and they enter the promised land. That's where they are. And we can think of that in terms of where we are on our God walk. That some of us have been delivered miraculously and we feel like we're in that wilderness place, like we have not yet reached those promises. Well, here's an archaeological fact that I looked up. Given the maps during that time, the distance from where the people were released during that exodus to the point where they would enter the promised land was at most 250 miles. That if they were motivated in walking, that they could have completed that journey in around two weeks. But it turned into 40 years. That's wild. Like, I don't understand that math. I've gotten lost going on vacation, but I have never gotten that lost going on vacation. The God plan, and I just need to say this clearly to someone here, it was never to confuse. The God plan was to protect you. It was to protect. When Pharaoh let the people go, the Bible says in Exodus 13, verses 17 and 18, God did not lead them by the way of the Philistines, Although it was nearer, for God said, the people may have a change of heart when they see war and they will want to return to Egypt. So God led the people roundabout by way of the wilderness at the Sea of Reeds. The God that we serve, he knew there would be a time of war. He knew that the battles would come, but that the battles belonged to him. He knew that the wilderness would serve a purpose. Maybe the purpose was a purpose of perspective. And if you are in a wilderness place, maybe God wants to change your perspective. Because see, you had people who had been raised in this slavery for generations. And when God delivers these people, maybe they needed to see him as a deliverer. Maybe they needed to see him as their guide during the day and night. Maybe they needed to see him as a sustainer, as a provider. Maybe when they took their sandals off at night in the tent and they noticed these things haven't worn out and we've been walking for years, what's going on? Maybe the perspective was for them to see God differently. Even though the area that they would travel, they could have cleared in a matter of days. I looked up, like, what was this? Like, It was like 50 to 70 square miles, potentially, where they kept doing these circles. That's like the size of an American city. (laughs) Imagine wandering in Cleveland for 40 years aimlessly. (laughs) Go Browns. (laughs) You imagine that? They kept wandering. And it's weird when you think about this. Like, when they would get up, they didn't get up and say, we're going to wander again. Like, part of them had to think, today's the day we're going forward. And yet it was another day doing the same thing. Here's the truth. Back to avalanches. The places that are most prone to deadly avalanches are the places that are the most beautiful and the places where people love to ski, where people love to uh, take in winter sports. And so instead of avoiding these areas of such beauty and places that are so useful, there's an awareness or a consciousness that is combined with these things. So they know what's going on. When they go there, that guard your heart kind of, like they're looking around and they're keeping this in mind. I'm going to get real with you for a moment because I did not know what to do with what God's been waking me up about. And God has a way of confirming things. So I get a phone call 
from someone that I esteem, a father in faith to me, that I talk to about every six months. And they said, hey, got something to share. Don't know if this will make any sense, but I'm going to tell you. God's been waking me up, and I've been having these dreams. What's that? He said, it may not even apply to the church where you are, but I feel like I need to share it. He said, in these dreams, I see groups of people in twos and threes, and I see whispering. You know, as a pastor, you're like, yeah, I don't want to receive that. (laughs) And I'm like, what? What? But what's weird is it's the same kinds of things that God, like, in those three o'clock wake-up things, and not out of paranoia, but out of this shepherd kind of thing, right? Where you're just like, when we speak about the body of Christ, like, no, devil, you are not going to use drama at this point in time when the church has come so far to stand in the way of what God's doing. Not here, not in any church that preaches the gospel of Jesus Christ. And as pastors, as believers, we need to stand. We need to begin to, in unity, declare these things. What's wild about this, when it comes to the children of Israel, the plan was never to wander. You know, we look at it that way, like the plan was to wander. No, that wilderness was a place between where they were released and the place they were going. It was never meant in the plan to be this place to wander when it first started out. The plan was always to go after the promise and enter the land. And I think of us, when it comes to the things of God, I do not want to be doing the same thing in 40 years that I'm doing now, no matter how great it may seem now. I want more in God. The time of manna, it was meant for a season. It was not meant to be a lifetime meal. The feast, it was waiting ahead. They didn't even know what to make of what they saw. People carrying grapes that it took two men to carry. These huge things that they could not even comprehend. They would see. They would try to process as part of a God plan. The wandering didn't start as a result of disobedience. It was merely a point on their map on where they were supposed to go. But the people in their own way chose to remain there longer than they should. And I don't want to be that person. You get people together and you imagine them every morning instead of praying about it saying, I think we should go this way. Which way you think we should go? Which way you think we should go? But never asking God. And keep going in that same direction. Oh, the avalanches, because I got to talk about them every 30 seconds. It's quite deadly. It's quite destructive, because the thing is, it picks up whatever is in the path as it's coming down the hill. So it may start out as something, but it starts picking up everything. It is said that an experienced avalanche forecaster can determine where an avalanche may break out. Do you know how they do that? Based on the terrain. And this spoke to my heart. I almost felt like God wanted me to watch National Geographic that day. No, check this out. In places where there are trees and rocks on a mountain, those are places that will not likely have avalanches. Avalanches 
often occur in terrains without big trees and rocks because when those things are there, they prevent that snow from sliding down. Here's where it hit me. It's important as a body of Christ that we understand the difference between obstacles and things that God has set up to protect us. It is vital because not everything that is in your path was meant to trip you up. Some things were put there because they were meant to hinder the devil's plans. Some of the things that you think, all I do is I keep taking left turn, right turn, left turn. Why can't I just walk straight like everyone else does? Because it was not on the map that God gave you, and you are being protected every moment from things that you don't even realize are going on. Avalanches, they may start out with just a little bit of ice, a little bit of snow, but once they gain that mass, they will slide further down and they get deadlier. My daughter was doing some English, which she loved, especially poetry, and she was reading Robert Frost, Fire and Ice. And Robert Frost, in this short poem, he theorizes that what would destroy the world? Would it be fire or ice? And at first he says, oh, fire, because it's so destructive. But then on second thought, he thinks maybe it would be ice, because ice is just as destructive. And I say that in a drama sense, that there's times that we may feel fiery, but I feel like the most destructive things sometimes in the body of Christ are those cold things that we just kind of let out. That I may not be carrying enough right now to bury someone in enough ice, but I'm carrying enough where I could be the thing that sets it off. And I don't want to be that. I don't want to be that. We live in a time where everyone feels, it's this freedom, like I just got to share. I wear my emotions on my sleeve. Well, do you really and do you have to? You know, when it comes to things of God, like, do we really just have to, well, I don't like this. No, no, no. We have to get dialed into a place where we understand. Like, I don't know. I don't know where people are today. But I can guarantee that if I come up and in the love of Christ approach them and try to lift them up, try to edify them, it'll go a whole lot farther than if I walk up and start rattling off a list of things I don't like. I don't know. I mean, I can't quote the verse on that. I'm just telling you, I think that's the way that rolls. There is a difference between burying someone and covering someone. And the tongue being as powerful as it is, it makes all the difference. I want to be able to cover someone in prayer. I want to cover them in encouragement. I want to be that person that does that even when it's hard. We all have a choice. We need to keep growing. We need to keep moving. In areas where avalanches occur frequently, do you know what they do? Sometimes they'll build walls to stop that from coming down. Some of us know that we have been called to build, to be consistent. When we say that, stay on the wall. We have been called to go there because the things that we build in faith may protect other people as it rolls down the hill. And I want to be those kind of people of faith. Tim Walker had posted a couple weeks ago about wise men planting trees that they'll never sit in the shade of. I want in faith to be that kind of church. Stopping something can be a lot harder than starting something. Meaning this, like it, it can be tough to try to stop an avalanche, right? You ever see those videos of those guys who just get their brand new boat and they got their big Silverado and they take it down to the boat ramp and they're backing it in and they leave the truck in reverse? And then they always run and try to stop the truck. 
Yeah, that's going to do it. Understand spiritually that the walls that are before you were meant to fall. If it's the same God, if he is the same God that says, I am walking you into those promises, that the walls that stand between you and the promise in Jesus' name are meant to fall. But the walls that he puts up are meant to protect. Stopping something can take commitment. Drama, it's draining. Do you know what it is? It's misdirected energy. An avalanche is powerful, but it's so destructive. Something is a church that I'm like, God, please just help me, just help me. And you know that I struggle with this sometimes because I have this weird sense of justice. Like I've got to intervene or I've got to jump in. Wise people aren't always looking for a fight. I say that in this sense, like I have a friend. Friend was in the Marines, was in law enforcement. Could take care of business. Whenever I'm with them, I just feel safe and secure but they don't go around looking for trouble. Well, they're aware of trouble and they could handle trouble if trouble came up. But in a spiritual sense, I want to walk with confidence. I don't want to walk around like this spiritual person that's always looking for a fight, like a chip on my shoulder. I want to walk around knowing that the God that empowers me gives me what I need for the fight in that moment. It's time as a church family, I believe, to come to a place. I was reminded of something last night. It's time that we come to the place where we not only get in God's word, but we stay in God's word. Go to my in-law's house last night. My mother-in-law has the entire Bible plastered up on copies throughout her house. You can't go get jelly without the jelly jar having a scripture on it, right? And because she wants the word of God surrounding her in every area. I've heard other people that have been doing that because see, when you are in a place and you're like, I'm ready for the spiritual fight, I wanna know what God says. And anywhere I look, I want God's word there. As a church family, it's time to start walking in that truth. It's time to understand that as we follow after goodness, as it says in Psalm 37, 23, that our footsteps will be ordered of the Lord. It's time to get to that James 1, 5 place where we understand that when we don't know what to do, that if any of us lacks wisdom, that we ask God and he gives it to us liberally. It's that time. And you're like, but I don't feel that. Well, get in the word and read it again. Get in the word and read it again. Say it out loud for the devil at the point where he thinks I've got him and he doesn't have an answer. Well, you know what, devil? I'm gonna read that again out of James and it says that the God I serve is gonna give it to me liberally. So stand back and watch, keep barking, do whatever you're gonna do, but God is here. It's time that we come to a place of Hebrews 4, 16, where we understand that we can come boldly before a throne of grace. Boldly before a throne of grace, where it says, where we may obtain mercy, obtain, obtain it, hold it in our hands, and that we may find grace to help in time of need. For every lion scheme of the devil, He's wanting to throw it out there. When it comes to the subject of drama, drama can be an unhealthy temptation of a church, and it's a truth. You know, sometimes as Christians, we can make synonyms out of words that were not meant to be synonymous. Example, crying and murmuring. In the Bible, it talks about a cry in Exodus 3, that God hearing the cry of the people going up, murmuring something different, totally. If you look up the definition of murmuring, it is a soft, low, indistinct sound produced by a person or group of people speaking quietly or at a distance. I can't believe the dream that person had. It was almost like when I looked this up, like, whoa, 
It's a subdued or private expression of discontent or dissatisfaction. And it always picks up momentum. I'm saying that because as Christians, I don't want to dwell here. There are times when I'm in distress. There are things that go on, like family things, that I will just cry out to God because I don't know what to do. And there are times when I just have a murmuring spirit. And I'll tell you which one I like better, personally. I like to murmur. But it always picks up momentum. Check this out. So all the congregation, this is Numbers 14, they lifted up their voices and cried, and the people wept that night. And the whole congregation said, if only we had died in the land of Egypt, or if only we died in this wilderness, why has the Lord brought us up to this land to fall by the sword that our wives and children should become victims? Would it not be better for us to return to Egypt? That's murmuring. So every time I think, you know, where I would get in a place and it get tough pastoring, I'd be like, was I really supposed to do this? That's murmuring right? Every time as a parent that I'll go to bed and think, boy, I missed it today. Uh, Should I even be a parent? Well, you are. I am. And I've got kids and I need to get up and do that in Jesus' name because that's who he made me to be. And there's some tough talk that we need to have with ourselves. And I need to be like, bud, you're not crying. You're murmuring. Stop it. If you have been around anyone for any amount of time, you know what gets under their skin. There are some men here at this church that leave the toilet seat up. I do not. But for you who are feeling convicted right now, stop doing it. Your wife does not like that. When you murmur, when you murmur, do you know what you're doing? You're complaining to God. And so when you say you know someone, when you act in a way that gets under their skin, that's what murmuring does. The people thought they were murmuring about the manna. They thought they were murmuring about the setting. They thought they were murmuring about the giants they were going to face. But the truth was they were murmuring about God's plan. This is the conviction I need to feel. I may be preaching right at me today. I'll watch the live stream later too because I want to hear it again. In the end, what's wild is think about how many people didn't end up back in Egypt getting the free fish and didn't end up in the promised land. That's the worst. That's the worst. Numbers 14, 26 through 30. Then the Lord told Moses and Aaron, how long will this wicked assembly keep complaining about me? Your corpses will fall in this wilderness. Every single one of you who is counted among you, according to your number from 20 years and above, who complained against me, you certainly will not enter the land about which I made an oath with my uplifted hand to settle you in, except for Caleb and Joshua. That hurts. But it squares me up about a complaining spirit when I get one. Because I'm thinking, ugh, there's some icky wilderness places. And no, I don't want to stay there. No, I do not want that. So here's the thing. There is a difference between that Exodus 3 cry and that numbers murmur. One will lead to promise. The other one will cause you to walk around in circles. And what's wild about murmuring, do you know spiritually how it works? It means I need to slow down so I can get in someone's ear. It means that I need, I stop praising God. I stop asking God what to do and I get in someone's ear. I stop walking. And spiritually, I think the picture that God put in my head, did I 
put one up there. Yeah, I don't like that one. Give me another. Yeah, I like this one. That idea. I don't want to be stopping, but I picture these guys. Like, no one gets up in the morning at basic training and says, I want to run some more. But, you know, once they start losing momentum, what they start doing is a cadence starts breaking out. And with that cadence, they all get in rhythm. And what's wild about this, none of these guys is graduating that day, but they know that the goal is ahead. I may not have arrived, but I am going to sing the praises of God. I want some like-minded people singing the praises of God in my ear. Whether you sing off-key or not, or off-beat, I want to hear that as I go. This is what an army kind of looks like. You know, we look at it in a different way. There are times that the army trains together. There's times that the army gets to know one another in, in a different way. And I'll tell you what, when you talk to people who have done this, these runs often don't end well. People tend to lose their breakfast. People tend to feel a little dehydrated. At the end, this gentleman with the hat, Murray here, he won't turn around and be like, boys, I knew you could do it. No. He's calling them all these names, and he's like, you feel terrible? We'll do push-ups. As an army, we need to understand that the work that's before us, that we have not arrived, but it is coming. It is coming. That Jesus is the answer. That we don't shut up about our salvation. You know what's wild right there? I'm going to call it out. Last night, as a family, we come together, and we are praying. And here's what's wild. Those of you who know Bernice... 91 years old, sitting in that chair after we pray as a family, and you know what she says. She raises her hand, and she's praising God, and she says, I know this. She said, as long as there's breath in my lungs, I'm going to sing. I'm going to shout the praises of God. That's nine decades of knowing who God is. He's not in the business of needing to be reinvented. It is time that we praise him for who he is. It is time for families to begin to get in the word. It's time to begin to pray over those homes. It's time for you as someone who may be in a marriage that you think is a train wreck and it is irreparable to begin to speak God's word over that. It's time to bust out the post-it notes in the fashion that Mona does and start putting them wherever it may be. It is time for us, when it comes to things, to raise that wall, to raise that firewall, to be who God has called us to be and not shrink back. Again, easier said than done, you may say. This has been a week. But I know who's on the throne. And there may be some more polished fellows in their three-piece suits today doing what they do in their churches. But I kind of prefer to be who God made me and to be real in the fact that when we're in this, we're in it together. Those words that were spoken by Stephen, 
when we're in this, we're in this together. We fight together. We pray together. We give testimony together because that's who God has called us to be. We serve one who restores. We serve one who empowers us to the point where when we come together in one mind and one accord, that the room is filled like a mighty rushing wind. That's who we serve. It's time for us to, when we get close here to the end, and I'm going to be wrapping this up to understand practically, Philippians 2, do all things without complaining and disputing that you may become blameless and harmless children of God without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you shine as lights. Romans 14, therefore let us pursue the things which make for peace and the things with which we may edify one another. Philippians 4, not that I speak in respect of want, for I've learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. I'm not staying here, but when I'm here, I know that God has got me. I'm not going to miss the blessing of this season because I complain my way around it. But what I'm going to do is I'm going to find the good and I'm going to speak the good that's in this season. That's who he called us to be. What I throw makes a difference. What I throw could start the avalanche or what I throw on the opposite way could start that mighty rushing wind. Which one do we want? Which one are we called to do? That murmuring spirit, the enemy will see it and he'll make sure that it picks up momentum. He'll do it every time. So my prayer for us as a church today is God, turn our straight lines straight, not into circles. Keep them straight. Don't let me circle the same thing saying, I'm going to do it my way. I'm going to do it my way. Let me hear your voice. Let me understand that for us as a people to go where you called us to go, that I need to start my cadence. You need to start your cadence. And we may be all sweaty and dirty at the end of this, but that's all right. We're together and I'm wearing good deodorant. If you'll stand, I want to read this verse, and then we're going to pray. Passage. It's out of Deuteronomy verse 8, or chapter 8, verse 2. I'm going to start. When I speak this, let it sink into your heart. Because I believe this is destiny and this is direction. Remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the desert these 40 years to humble you, to test you in order to know what was in your heart, whether or not you would keep his commands. He humbled you, causing you to hunger and then feeding you with manna, which neither you nor your fathers knew, to teach you that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Your clothes wear out and your feet didn't swell during these 40 years. Know in your heart that as a man disciplines his son, so the Lord your God disciplines you. Observe the commands of the Lord your God, walking in his ways and revering him. And the final verse, verse 7 says, For the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land, one flowing with milk and honey.
I want to pray. And here's what I would ask when we pray. I would ask that you speak blessing over your family. And then I'd ask that you speak blessing of those standing next to you. Oh, you don't have to lay your hand on them here. I'm not going to make you all uncomfortable. But what I'm going to ask is, how would you want someone praying for your family? I know how I want you praying for my babies. And that's how I pray for yours. So let's bow our heads and let's just speak blessing in this moment. Father, right now I come before you. You are a good father. You do not withhold blessing from your children. And Lord, I pray right now in a very real way that for those of us who may not have direction in the moment of where the next foot should fall, where the next step should go, that you do. And Father, I pray your blessing over every home that is represented here. And God, I lay claim. And not only do we do that, but Lord, I speak against anything generational that would try to attach itself. Unless that generational thing is blessing, is your way. And God, I pray that you would begin to shake the foundations of homes. Lord, I pray that we would see a revival breakout like we have never seen before in a real way that is sustainable by people who are going to keep the cadence. And Lord, for the ones that are standing next to us. See, we come in church and we don't let down the facade sometimes, but Lord, we know that there are hearts that break just by the numbers in this building. I pray that you would bind up the brokenhearted. Father, I pray that you would begin to make a way where they see no way. And God, as Pastor Tim had said, let testimony flow in this building. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.